clearly off topic. Two friends, one unique conversation. Driven to learn, inspire, create, and understand the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're just trying to be good humans and make the world a better place. How hard could it be? Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Clearly Off Topic. I'm Juliet. And I'm Lindsay. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Welcome back. All right. I'm just going to jump right in because our guest is incredible. She's She's such a lovely soul, but let me just tell you about her, all right? She is an author. She's a speaker. She is a prison coach and advocate, and she's got a passion to end our country's mass incarceration problem through, among a lot of other things, advocating for women in prison and youth with incarcerated parents, okay? She has been a guest on the Today Show, NBC, Good Morning America, Bloomberg News, and Entertainment Tonight, just to name a few. There were so many, I couldn't, I don't want to name them all. There's just too many. I can't do it. And now... Her debut on Clearly Off Topic is finally here, the day she's been waiting for for years, I'm sure. Clearly Off Topic, our guest is Jen Myers, and oh, Lindsay, I can't wait for you to meet her. Oh my gosh, I just, I am so excited. I watched her TED Talk, I'm just very excited about this. Guys, um, prison reform is a real thing, and you know, it doesn't, it might not affect you now, but it might affect you later in life, and you want to make sure that you pay attention to things like your rights and all of that, but you also want to make sure that you're protecting these humans who we just consistently dehumanize. So her work is so important. She's so inspiring. I can't wait. But uh, hey, hey, Juliet. No, hey. no. Hey, what are you grateful no. for? <laughs> Quarantine, gratefulness. Um, grateful for people like Jen who are making people feel like humans in our society. Okay, that's a cop out. I am. Well, I was just going to say that's kind of a cop out. <laughs> I am grateful for our guests. Um, yeah, because people who are incarcerated are still part of our community. So. Yeah. Anyway, enough, enough teasing you guys. We'll get to it eventually. I'm grateful <laughs> for my little garden. I love gardening. I love my plants, but I feel like I'm really personifying them to a whole new level in quarantine. Like <laughs> They're getting names. I'm moving them around so they get the perfect sunlight. I'm singing to them. And I know that's relatively normal for me, but now it's just, it's gone up to 11. Like my abs are to 11. <laughs> Juliet is a plant lady. Um, I call her the the mother of orchids. You know, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, I've just changed it around. She's the mother of orchids. She's like one of the only humans I know who can keep an orchid alive like multiple seasons and like make it flower continuously. Don't know how she does it, but she does. You just gotta ignore them, Lindsay. Orchids like don't want your love. Orchids are like cat. They're like, are you looking at me? I'm gonna die. And you're like, oh, it's true. <laughs> Kids, you like put them somewhere. You ignore them. And maybe when you pass by them, you tell them something nasty and then they just love it. Flourish. They flourish. Yeah, I can't do that. I'm really bad at it. Um, okay. Are you grateful gratefulness, for? Gratefulness for me. What am I grateful for today? Well, I think that I'm just really grateful that I thought that I was going to get all these crafts done in years and years and years past. So I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was recently unpacking my fantasy self. Um, well, I'm just really glad right now. And what that means, by the way, fantasy self is like, you know, you think you're going to be the girl who makes candles or the girl who makes macrame or the girl who like makes body lotion and sells it on the internet. Everybody goes through something weird like this. You're the cross stitch lady. You're the girl who crochets, whatever it is, right? You think you're going to be that. And then you realize like you don't have time for that, nor do you actually want to like put in the practice and work to do it. So like, I thought I was going to be a candle person for a while. I thought I was going to like make, I, I do make body lotion and body oil, but really just for me. But I have like stockpiles of all these random crafts that I've now actually been able to get to. And it's been incredible because I actually have things to like occupy my time. And on days where I'm feeling like 
motivated to do something, I don't have to like find something to do. I can literally just go into my craft closet and be like, what should I do today? I have like a list of all these things I needed to get done and they're all getting done. So I guess I'm just grateful that I had, you know, left all of these things for a rainy day. I was really just, uh, you know, stocking up on crafts for when I'm stuck in my house, which I never thought I would be. <laughs> you just had such forethought. There you go. I, I just, you know, I'm just really smart sometimes. So just got to pat myself on the back there. But yeah, just keeping busy. I'm really grateful for silly crafts. I uh, made a macrame plant hanger for my disco ball. I just showed Juliet a little it's bit ago. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's actually pretty, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. It's pretty cool. I like definitely DIY'd it all on my own. I learned one knot and then I was like, that's enough. <laughs> and um, basically just figured it out. And so now it's hanging in my living room and my disco ball is no longer sitting in a corner in bubble wrap because I didn't want it to break. So yeah, just like stupid crap like that. Um, we bought new door pulls for our kitchen, but we haven't been able to take the kitchen doors off because it's been raining. So, mm -hmm. you know, that we'll get to that. I'm making yeah. some essential oil uh, rollers, like with some lavender, like calming, because I have all this essential oil and all these rollers and I never did them. So that's what I'm doing yep. now. <laughs> yep. See, exactly. Like I may, I do like nail oil pens where it's like, mm. you know, cuticle oil for your nails. And I had like a hundred things from Alibaba. And now I got to make them all. So next time I see you, if ever, Juliet, I will have some cuticle oil for you. Woohoo! For the nails that but hopefully yeah. someone will see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody maybe eventually will see them. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that's what I'm grateful for. Just crafts, just things to busy my time or like keep my hands busy, you know? I like it. I like it. All right, mm -hmm. Lindsay, let's get to this guest because I'm going to freak out. I'm so excited. Oh my God, I can't wait. Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, but before we get into all of that, I want to talk about Red Bear Roastery. Red Bear Roastery is a micro roastery out of Los Angeles specializing in small batch craft coffee beans. Yes, that's a thing. Isn't that crazy? They are basically fueled by caffeine and they have a huge passion for coffee. They want to provide you with the most wildly fresh coffee beans on the planet, basically. Your coffee never sits on a shelf for weeks on end before you purchase it. It's not like manufactured far away and then shipped off to you. It is manufactured as you order. So if you order a bag of the Burundi, he then roasts a bag of the Burundi and just the small batch that you need. We have a really special relationship with Red Bear Roastery, and that is what gets us through all of these hours of podcasting. So if you use the code off topic at checkout at redbearroastery.com, you'll save 20%. So once again, code off topic and get yourself some wildly fresh coffee beans. As promised, we are here with Jen Myers. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Of course. I, as I was talking to you guys in the very beginning, Jen is just a little Swiss army knife of all kinds of amazing experiences and things that she's up to. Give us a little bit of a backstory about really how you found yourself in this world and why you have this passion for helping incarcerated individuals. Yeah. So um, for me, I mean, I, I had a pretty, very much normal childhood growing up. I, I grew up on a farm in Ohio. Um, I was a cheerleader. I was captain of my cheerleading squad. I went to college. Um, I was a dance major. I loved dancing. And then later I moved to Chicago and started choreographing and dancing in Chicago. And that was my passion. Um, but at that point, I ended up, one of my sorority sisters introduced me to a man who I later found out was involved in running a marijuana trafficking operation. And when I found that out, I didn't leave. And I ended up at one point getting involved. And that involvement continued for about 10 years off and on while I danced and did other things and until finally somebody got arrested. So in 2002, I found myself arrested by the federal government 
Um, it took two and a half years for me to get sentenced. I was facing 10 years. Luckily, I only got three years in prison. And then even more luckily, I only ended up serving 17 months in a federal prison camp. But it, it was really that, um, the moment that I was arrested, um, seeing or, or feeling what it felt like to be wrapped up in a criminal justice system, uh, my life on pause, um, facing 10 years. And then the women that I met um, inside prison, I, I really couldn't believe it. Um, how many women were locked up on long, long lengthy, nonviolent, mandatory minimum drug sentences, and most of them were mothers with two or three children. And so for me, that just created sort of my whole purpose. When I got out of prison, I knew that I needed to try to do something. And that's, that's how I got into this world. Wow. I mean, there's so, there's so much to unpack there. And what an incredible journey. I'm so glad you I only know. got 17 months like that. Me too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you know, it's incredible. Like Lindsay and I both know people who are dear friends who have gone to jail or to prison. And you know, the common misconceptions about people who are wrapped up in this, in this federal justice system, um, what, are, what do you think are some of the biggest uh, misconceptions and how those are really harming like rehabilitation and maybe changing this problem? Well, I mean, I think it's just basically the basic judgment that if somebody's incarcerated or in prison, then number one, they're a bad person. Um, they did something wrong and they deserve to be locked up in prison. So immediately your value as a human being goes down um, dramatically. And, and to me, that is the number one problem. I mean, let alone let's talk about race and economics and, and, and all of the things that are a little bit, you know, that are talked about a lot. I think if we really looked at the foundation, it's the sense that somebody in prison has no value. And that's the scary part, right? Because there's also like, you know, we can get into the private prisons versus, you know, federal and state run prisons. And that's a whole nother ball game. But it, these people are basically just marginalized forever after getting out as well. You know, no matter what you look like, no matter what your like age, gender, race, like you forever have to put this, you know, on applications, you forever are kind of held to this standard. And, you know, what did you do to kind of break away from some of those things? I mean, I'm looking at you on a video right now. You don't exactly look like somebody who we would think would be in prison. So what were kind of some of the struggles that you faced after getting out and, you know, just being in the regular world again? Well, and, you know, I want to, I just want to always preface it and say, you know, I, I was one of the lucky ones. Um, you know, I had an education. Um, I had family support. So, and, and for me, it was, it was challenging. Um, I mean, I came out in 2007, which if you remember was the downturn of the real estate market and the economy, my career besides trafficking had been in real estate. So I came out and, okay, first of all, um, you know, luckily my brother helped me out for the first year financially because I had nothing. I had no money. Um, I had spent everything that I had on attorney fees before I went in and I didn't have a, a ton um, and I had a lot of debt. Um, because of course I had a higher lifestyle, um, and then I got arrested and all of that stopped. So I had all this backlog of debt and, and, um, it was, it was a little challenging. I didn't have a car. I'd sold my car before I went in. I didn't have a home. Um, my boyfriend and I basically were really not together anymore, even though he was my biggest support inside prison. I came back to San Diego without knowing hardly anybody, but that's where I wanted to be. And it, it was, it took a while, it took about a year for me to get on my feet. And I remember the first three months 
Um, I couldn't do things fast enough. I remember the second day I was out of prison. I mean, I sort of expected everybody to like sort of throw a party for me. Jen, Jen's out of prison. I, I actually was given immediate release. So nobody was prepared. But instead of a party, you know, it was more like, you know, when are you going to get a job? When are you going to get a car? Like, and, and I was on a different speed when I was inside prison when I came out. When I came out, I felt like the world was on hyperdrive and everybody was angry. And I had this like two month period that I always think is spectacular where time seemed to move slower. I felt like I discovered something inside prison that I wanted to savor, but the world caught up to me. And then suddenly at one point again, I was on overwhelm. So that, that was a part of it. And of course I would get one job. I would try to, so my tactic of not, you know, wanting to deal with saying I was a felon um, and what I'd been through was to, um, go on Craigslist and look for boutique businesses that would possibly employ me because of my experience and not ask and nor what I have to say until years later, I began to just tell people what I did. And the results of that were pretty surprising in a good way. But that was how it was the first year. It was tough. Well, you know, it's, I don't know how to fix this problem of the employers because, you know, they have these things in place to protect themselves, but at the same time, they are really overlooking candidates who are perfectly fine, capable, wonderful employees. So I, what would you change if you could anything in that regard? Well, see, I do think it's changed. I do think they recently passed a law, um, not all states, um, but that you do not have to check that box anymore, that you're a felon. So things are starting to shift. And, and honestly, I'm going to say this, even though I can't say that I'm a supporter of Trump, he has done some things to put criminal justice reform, um, you know, on the top. He signed the First Step Act. I mean, so things are, you know, tiny steps starting to make a difference. Yeah, and I, I do. I'm, uh, I'm kind of like a business person over here. So I, yeah, you don't have to check that box anymore. And I mean, I work in small business. Um, and I don't know a single person in my like, you know, area of business that would not hire somebody who had had, you know, any sort of a past, like, if you're going to work, and you're going to prove yourself, that's, that's what I need. You know what I mean? Whether it's somebody who's working in a warehouse, or it's somebody who's doing customer service, or whatever they're doing, if you're willing to work and you're willing to put the energy in, small businesses are much more likely to, you know, not discriminate because of that, in my experience, which I'm glad you experienced that as well. I did. And I want to say one more thing, like, what would I change? You know, what's missing, I think, and again, I, I was only in for 17 months and I swore I'd never say only, but I say it now because now I work with um, people who are lifers or who have a life sentence and have been in for 30 to 40 years. What's missing is, you know, the training before they get out, this, you know, catch them up on to the world. So they actually have a chance to do something. Um, there needs to be more of that. Yeah. So since 2009, you've been working as a prison consultant, right? Mostly with women, but also with men. And really walk us through that process because there's a lot going on there. And tell us about your work with that. Thank you. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I was finally sentenced to prison and it was reality, I was going inside. I was so frightened. So I started researching online and I found out there was something called a prison consultant. And at the time, that was in 2006, um, David Novak was one of the only prison consultants basically around, except for Alan Nellis, I think it was, um, Alan Ellis, who's an attorney. And I called David and he said he would help me. Um, so he prepared me to go to prison and he was an angel. Just having somebody 
on my side who seemed normal, who could tell me what it looked like. You know, as women, I think especially, we want to know what does it look like? What does it feel like? What is my day going to be like? I'm, am I going to get you know hurt or, you know, whatever. Like he painted that whole picture and I went in there feeling pretty good. And so when I got out, that was the first thing besides writing my book I knew I wanted to do is to support women who'd never been incarcerated before or men. You know, so, so they're not as scared, support them and their families. And a lot of the work I've done has been a lot of pro bono work, but, you know, I've, I've been doing this since 2009. Um, and I'm working with a woman right now who's, you know, in Arkansas. I work with women all over and I just love that work. It's funny how you say before you go in, because yeah, I mean, if I got sentenced, I would have a thousand questions exactly like you, but we mostly focus, at least I have until you mentioned this on okay, we, I know I'm going to get released, so I need to start prepping for that. But really, it's probably from the very start before you go in all the way till the end, is that essential to, to a transition out of incarceration? It is. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people wait to co- contact me until they've been sentenced. And then they're on this rush to prepare. You know, there's so much to prepare before they go in. There's so many different pieces. I work with a lot of people in the federal um, system, so I know how that works. Um, but um, definitely, I like to work with women to not only like, where are you now? And to be now and present with what they're feeling, their grief, their shame they're working through. You know, families are torn apart. They're children, but also start to sneak in preparing for what they can do when they get out. What type of life life do they envision that they want? Um, What do they want to create? You know, really for them to dream and then to set up realistically how they can make those steps forward before they're out. It it definitely is. It definitely helps. Yeah. What kind of resources do you have in prison? Like if you're prepping, I mean, is it as bleak as I would think? Is it very much like you don't have a lot of access unless you have an advocate? And does that change? Exactly what I was, it's exactly yeah, what I was going to ask. What resources do you, are you thinking of when you say resources? Like you're from, from the friends that we have that have been locked up, you know, it's, you get to go to food and you get to go for a little bit of exercise and outside and you're pretty much in your cell. Um, but then you watch Shawshank Redemption, there's like a library and they, you know, I guess. What yeah, is- well, okay. So let's talk about that. I get what you're saying. So it depends on what type of prison you're talking about. I mean, as before you'd mentioned private prisons, there's county jail. You don't really do a lot there. There's no libraries there, you know, in holding places like that or private prisons, not a good place to be. I haven't been in one, um, but I know women who have been. Um, federal is different than state, but let's say on a medium yard or in a camp, something, you know, and even on high yards, because I work on a medium yard right now um, in, in a men's state prison, there's usually a library. Is it the best resources? No, but sometimes there's even in federal prisons, like a little bit of a law section, you know, that goes on. There are um, educational programs. So some of our men are able to take college courses. So that has happened too. Um, Obama put in a Pell Grant for college courses, that changed a lot in state prison. Um, there's programming, if there's mental health, maybe not a lot, but there's some. I mean, I run a, a program inside the prison. Most volunteers, the money for programming inside is not a lot. And by the way, you know, resources to, you know, do computers or how do you, you know, use this or how do you survive in the world? There's not a lot of reentry programs before you get out of prison, which is where they really need to be. There's some. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask too. So as a prison consultant, what are some of the things that you, you know, would do with clients when, you know, basically when they're trying to go in and when they're trying to come out, I'm assuming you're kind of working with them on both ends sometimes, or is it more like dealing with what they're going through while they're in? Is it during the whole duration? Like, 
yeah. what is a prison consultant? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a little bit tricky and it's, it's a wide range because it depends on how much, you know, some prison consultants are making a lot of money and that's true. And people hire them who have money. So there's a lot of white collar um, um, offenders going in that may hire a prison consultant because they can afford it. Um, what I like to do with a woman when she calls me and I don't, you know, I work with people again, pro bono too. Um, and, but, but usually, um, again, there's so much to prepare before. I mean, there's, there's a PSI report to help them with their interview, their sentencing, collecting reference letters for the judge. I really help a lot with preparing for them to get number one, the best sentence possible. And, and then how to spend their time in prison and what prison is like. So, and then I will also stay on email with them, at least the women in federal prison, and we will dialogue and I'll be there for them as a support. I'll talk to their family members. When they're out, usually at that point, they're on their own unless they continue to work with me. And, you know, they've usually got some family support. That's family support really seems essential in all of this. It is huge. Um, so go ahead, Lindsay. Oh. Okay. So I was going to say, so you were saying that you're like, you're working in like a men's state prison now. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, cause that's just like scary to me entirely. Like let's go into a prison, but then let's also go into a men's prison. So what's that like? What are you, what are you doing with the men there? And, and just, yeah, tell me about your experience. Yeah. So, you know, I never really thought that I'd work with men. I mean, you know, one thing I did is found my own nonprofit where it was, a, it's a three month program I wrote to work with women. And that's where I do the reentry work with women with that program separate from the consulting. Um, but with all of a sudden I, I start, well, anyways, I got connected to um, uh, Mark Lovett, who was the organizer of TEDx. And um, I did a speaking workshop because I used to, you know, speak in schools and share my story to kids, which I really loved. And he said, there's this woman I know who's going into this men's prison and she's going to put on a TEDx inside of a prison. Like I want to go in. And I had tried to go into prison four years before that to go into county jail at Las Colinas to help, but I got denied because I have a, a felony on my record. So it was hard for me to go back into prison, but I finally got approval. So when I got clearance, it's hard to go back in. I know, but I was. It was interesting. Um, I didn't know how I'd feel going back in the first few, the first month. It was a little interesting to, to have that sensation because I have my own trauma about being incarcerated, and I didn't know how I'd feel about the men. But I'll tell you. They, the men we work with, the minute I walk through those gates and, and walk down the strip, the men were coming up. Hey, how are you? My name's Billy. Let me sit you down. I have things I want to share with you. Like big open heart. Like the men that we work with who are on the road to change have something really special that, that I, more than people I meet on the outside, they're vulnerable, they're real, they're open hearted. Um, I, I, you know, not to say I've never felt afraid. I honestly haven't really ever felt afraid in the three years I've been on the yard. Um, but not to be foolish, things happen. Violence happens on the yard. People get killed, people get stabbed, this and that. But um, the men we work with are incredible. And I, every time I leave on a Tuesday, I just can't wait to come back in. The oh, resilience, so, it's beautiful. That's so refreshing, yeah. yeah. I feel like the resiliency of the human spirit is shown when you just give people a little understanding and a little bit of faith, you know, you're going in there and you're not saying, I need to know what you did. And are you feeling sorry about it? You're saying you have a life after this. How do we help you achieve those goals? And that's what I, I was thinking too, yeah. is that it's just so beautiful. Like, you know, those people are literally on the precipice of change and just a little, like a warm smile or like somebody who just wants to listen to them without putting that stigma on them 
is probably refreshing to them as well. Well, you know, and I want to say this just to be really clear. They're really the ones that bring things to me. They teach me, they give to me. And, and, you know, that's the thing I think that we've done is it was set up. Um, and, you know, I've been working with Mariette for three years on this, the way that we run our circle, and that's the way she set it up, is to empower the men to make the decisions, which normally doesn't happen inside prison for men or women. So, again, I believe in my heart it's about bringing value back to people. Again, you know, once they started realizing they actually count and they matter and that they can do this and they can make decisions, and then we had 100 people come in from the outside, you know, we, we, we brought common humanity together. And all of a sudden, you know, the men were saying, I feel human again. I mean, that's a big statement. I feel human again. And that's the power. Yeah. And I think that, that at least in America, and this is the, you know, what you've had experience with, I'm not sure about other countries, but dehumanizing our prisoners is what we do. And it's when you dehumanize anyone and then you release them into society again, you don't, you expect them to be accountable. They haven't been accountable on purpose you've been you've been dehumanizing them and taking that away from them you're training them for nothing and even for me it's not even just the accountability part of it right it's the like okay i just have to literally jump right back into creating life again and that's you know we have a we have a friend who you know did some time in prison for a little while there and we remember you know that person being released and it was it was almost as traumatizing as being put into prison because you're kind of thrust back into this real world. And luckily this person had a lot of family support. Um, a lot, it was, it was an interesting situation, but he had so much family support. So that helped a lot. But if he hadn't had that and he hadn't had his support of his friends, like I don't know where he would be. So you doing this work with these people is just that it really warms my heart. Like this, this means so much to me. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it warms my heart because the men that I work with warm, warm my heart so much. And, and I can't express how incredible they are and the gems of wisdom that they have to share. And, you know, these are truly people who have been locked up for 30 plus years, some, some since they were juvies, you know, we had a guy get out. um, He got locked up on a juvie law. um, Well, when juvies could get life, he got out at 42 last year and he's doing fantastic. But can you imagine that he only got out because of juvie law changed? He'd been transformed for over 11 years. I mean, he, he's incredible and he's doing incredible things. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's such this, 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 the human spirit, you know, in, 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 in nurturing that when somebody's inside prison, no matter for how long that is, I think where we need to start. One person can really change the course. <laughs> Lindsay, we actually know a lot of people have gone to prison. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, oh, wow. I know like on the top of my head, four. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I remember writing letters to a specific individual. Lindsay, you, you did as well. Um, he was in for a couple of years. And when he got out, he still kept all of our letters and just said how much just the connection of one person. And we tried to visit, but he was kind of far away. Um, but mm-hmm. truly one person can change the course of your whole life. Absolutely. And I have all his letters too. So I kept them also. (laughs) That's really precious. And I want to share one thing too, because there's something about being in for two years, three years, four years, five years, where it's just enough time to go in and it's long enough to feel what it feels like to be incarcerated and to get used to it. And then, but to come out, because you still have like a thread to life. But Mm -hmm. I think for me, that has its own challenges because, you know, prisons changed you. It changes every single person who goes in. And I know for somebody who, you know, let's say they're educated, maybe it was a white collar crime, you know, they're different. 
It's like, but how are they different? Yeah. And how do they fit back into a life that they think they're going to fit back into? And I think that's the opportunity for somebody who goes in with education and comes out on a shorter sentence is something spectacular can happen on the other side. I mean, I just firmly believe that. And more people are coming out of prison and hitting the ground running as advocates more than ever before. So that's Oh, awesome. that makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, I know someone that was uh, in prison for 10 years in a different country um, and in France. And their experience was way different than what I would imagine. I've never met anyone here who's been for prison for 10 years, so I don't have a direct comparison. But they had a job. They didn't get to use the money while in prison, but they got to keep it. So when they got out of prison, they had some capital. Um, do you at all, have you done a research about prison in other countries and maybe how they are different from our country? And maybe if we can steal some of that for this country. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that in, you know, in my TEDx talk, I talked about a prison in Brazil, but they were, you know, like really working with restorative justice inside the prison. And, um, you know, in that prison, of course, um, it was, the rules were a lot looser. Their family members could come in and participate in programs with them. Um, they could, you know, it, it, it really there weren't any restrictions. You could come in and go out. Um, they were empowered to make those decisions in some ways. But the funny thing is when I talked to a woman from Brazil, after I did my TEDx talk, I talked to somebody from Brazil and she said that there were some flaws with that system. Um, that they were actually getting so used to that contained world that had containment but not containment that they didn't even really want to leave that world. They'd rather live there in their own lives. So, you know, there's a flip side to everything. I know, you know, the Netherlands um, has some really good things going on in their prisons. But um, for me, I feel like I've been mostly focused on, you know, people that are doing advocacy work here and what can we bring into our systems. I don't really know the answer because again we can talk about how do we bring better programs and change our prison yards and our prisons and our wardens and their thought process processes or do we work on re-entry or do we work on preventative you know or do we work from the top down like is it the data system of the prisons and you know there's sentencing reform which i, I you know and i sort of believe that sentencing reform is one of the keys to making really solid change but again it's a it's a big beast it is so yeah you, I, I was just gonna ask that question so sentencing reform is a huge one what would you say like your top three things are as somebody who's you know been in prison and is working with people who are in prison short and long term what do you think are the things that you know we really need to focus on and like you know change or work towards change on well, I mean, as far as sentencing reform goes, I mean, um, I would say, number one, um, no juvenile should be sentenced as an adult ever to life, ever, ever. That needs to change. That's not changed in all states yet. Number two, um, this um, life in prison, um, LWAP, life without parole, needs to completely be disbarred disband no longer. Number three, in the federal system, we need to really change the federal um, mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines, period. There are still people inside, um, somebody on my case, 25 years for marijuana. It's not retroactive. There's women in there on first-time nonviolent drug offenses for 12 to 20 years. That needs to change. All the time, boom, like, like right there, top three. That is just mind-blowing to me that when you're saying these sentences and you're saying the crime i'm just like these puzzle pieces don't fit yeah so we're back to sentencing reform like let's at least start there and as as our as being taxpayers and voting we we can manage those we can make a change 
So here I am cheerleading. Now I'm now I'm advocating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that. I was just going to say, I was like, now yeah. I now I have a guideline of where I can start. I'm like, you know, I, I do have the power to maybe make a change. So I think a lot of people yeah. will, hear, will hear this and say like, well, I don't know anyone in prison or it doesn't affect me. Well, it affects somebody and that matters. Oh, yeah. It affects someone and it might not affect you right now. It might affect you in five years. And won't you be glad you did that work then, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Definitely. We have the empowerment of voting, all of that. Um, you wrote a book as well. Yes, that's what I was just going to say. <laughs> I did. I wrote my story, my memoir called um, Trafficking the Good Life. Yeah. How long did that take you to write once you got out? Did you start it in prison? Actually, I started writing in prison. Um, art and writing came out of my little being to save me when I was having a hard time. So I came back to my love of writing for sure and started writing poetry inside prison, which I've had published. Um, and I would start to, I'd type upstairs on the typewriter and write. And when something really painful or hard was going on in prison, because that happened where I was too. Um, and that was my process. And when I came out, I started writing my book. It took me about a year to figure out how I wanted to tell my story, um, to find a good editor. And then once I did, it took me another year to write it. So I'd say it was a two year process and then another year to find a publisher. Wow. That's, that's just incredible. Like I can't write a book. I can't. <laughs> I know I can't. So like on top of everything else, that's just awesome. You I mean, I, I'm going to have to read it now. Um, so I mean, do you still write and do those creative things still come out of you now that you're, you know, not stuck in prison? Do you think that you may have like gained some, you know, insight into something else that, you know, brings you peace during your time? Because that's what it sounds like to me. The writing and art gave you a little oh, bit of peace while you're in there. There's my art that I do on the side behind me. And but writing, I, I really feel like writing is um, one of my talents that I want to nurture. I, I still write. I started writing another book last year. Um, I would love to write fiction books that have a message. Um, and that's my goal based, you know, sort of narrative nonfiction. Um, and uh, I also am looking at possibly writing. I'd love to turn my book into a fiction TV show. So I'd like to get into some more TV writing. And I'm also a ghostwriter. So I, I ghostwrite for a company called Story Terrace. I just finished a book. And if somebody wants to find me, they can go to my website. I was just going to say, can you tell us where to find you, where to get your book and where people can keep up with you? Instagram, sure. all that. Yeah. Um, oh, sure. Um, so my book is on Amazon. Um, I have a website, jennifermyers.co. And my Instagram is jenmyers198. Um, and yeah, that's where you can sort of see what I'm doing. And um, my nonprofit is risetoempower.org. Fantastic. And your book is on, can we find it on Amazon? Yes, it's on Amazon. Wonderful. That's so exciting. Um, so in, in closing, what are, I guess, for people who maybe are feeling trapped, because I know prison has a trapped feeling, of course, mm -hmm. but right now people are dealing with that. We're a little trapped right now. <laughs> it's not the same. There's no parallel between what same. now, no. but just um, people maybe are, are feeling a lot of emotions and things. Do you have any little guidance for people just in their own heads who might be trapped? Yeah. I mean, I think about the parallels a lot. And I think, um, uh, number one, um, you know, giving ourselves permission to, you know, feel uncomfortable um, in the situation because it takes time to get used to our worlds getting more restricted. Um, routine helps. Finding your new routine um, really helps a lot. And I also think, you know, find what brings you some joy besides working and, and, and feeling the pain, you know, funnel it into something creative, whether that's writing for you, art for you, do a collage, scribble. 
um, you know, dance, put your music on, like those things really move the energy when we're feeling the pain of being restricted. So hopefully that helps a few people. I think yeah. it will. And if someone's looking <laughs> for you to be an advocate for, you know, someone they know or for themselves, would they contact you through your, your website or through your foundation? What's the best way if they need your services in that regard? Yeah, so they can definitely contact me through any of my websites. My personal website is the best or my email at jenmyers198 at gmail.com. Great. And we'll have all that info in the show notes to you guys. So if you're listening to this and you need to take notes for that later, uh, they'll all be there. So thank you so much, Jen. This has been an awesome conversation. And I'm just, I'm really, really excited about all the work you're doing. Thank you. Well, it was a joy being here. I love talking about it and I love sharing it with both of you and your audience. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, guys, I think that was clearly off topic for today. So um, definitely check out Jen and um, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. We'll see you all next week. Take care. <laughs>